Our reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Excuse me. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Morning, church. Can you hear me? There's a gentleman at the back called Simon who will be happy to help out if you can't. Um, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, shine your light on us this morning so that we can better understand the enormity of who you are and better reflect that light in a very dark world. To the glory of your name, amen. Can I, for the last time, wish you a very happy Christmas. This is the last day of Christmas. And as we've looked at the Christmas story, we've uh, read again a lot of things. One of the things that always strikes me is the um, story where um, Joseph is visited by an angel who says, Mary's gonna have a baby. And you're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Salvation matters. That's why the name Jesus means God saves. 
And if we uh, could have a motto for this year, I think it would be that, salvation matters. You see, I don't know what your year has been like. Mine has been full of changes, like meeting you lovely people. Um, But, you know, for some of us, we've had a great year. For others, um, we may have been through very dark times. And today's reading tells us this, and Chris has just reminded us in a tangible way of this. Jesus Christ is bigger than your darkness. And that's an understatement. His light shines in the darkest of places, illuminating the enemy's schemes, bringing hope, transformation and life. So here's where we're going this morning. I've actually found um, preparing this passage very difficult. I I think it's uh, probably the most amazing passage in the whole of scripture. It's the kind of passage that the more you learn about it, the bigger it expands as you're trying to get your head around it. There's a lot in it, and I cannot do it justice. And this morning we'll just be looking at light and darkness. It's a dualism which um, John employs to excellent effect in this passage and throughout his gospel. So here's where we're going. First, we're going to look at the darkness. Then we're going to look at the light. And then we'll end up by looking at bearing witness to the light. Okay, is that clear? Okay, the darkness. You may have noticed I have a bit of an obsession with moon landings. Um, Christmas Day, 1968, a very special message was broadcast on the radio. And it came from Apollo 8. It was the first manned spacecraft to orbit the moon. And it said this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. It was, of course, a reading from Genesis chapter 1, illuminated beautifully by the setting those gentlemen were in. Isn't it great that the first thing you read in Scripture is this? That when the Spirit of God moves, darkness doesn't stand a chance. The light has come, and it is very, very, very good. There on the screen you can see our planet. It's a swirling mass of darkness and light. But what we notice about it is the light, because the darkness around it is such a stark contrast. This um, book here is one of my most treasured possessions. Some of you will have heard of it. It is a first edition copy of In Darkest England and the Way Out. It's by William Booth, one of the founders of the Salvation Army. And in it, he's writing a kind of um, social and spiritual treatise for Victorian England. He's presenting the problems and is offering some fairly radical suggestions, only a few of which were actually taken up. Um, But I was looking at uh, the book, and he shares something he calls ghastly figures in it, some statistics. And I was reading them, wondering about them. I thought, surely after about 125 years of welfare state and social reform, surely England can't be that dark anymore. Here's what I found. In 1890, when the book was published, there were 100,000 homeless people in England. Today, we have a million in the UK. 
There were 300,000 starving people in London, in Victorian England. These figures are very hard to get today, because what does starving mean? Um, But from the Trussell Trust alone, 350,000 people have used a food bank this year. That has tripled in 2013. Prison population in Victorian England, 56,000. Now it's 85,000. Um, Drunken arrests in William Booth's day, 200,000 per year. Um, Very hard statistic to get hold of these days, but it's reported that between 50 and 80% of all crimes have alcohol as a factor. It's interesting to note that there were 190,000 pubs in Victorian England. Now there are 60,000. The nature of our drinking habits is changing considerably but the problem is not going away. In fact, it's probably getting worse. In 1890, there were reported to be 100,000 sex workers in the UK. Again, figures are hard to assess, but that figure is probably still around 100,000. Somebody said to me after nine o'clock, well, the thing is, there's a bigger population now. Yes, there are a lot of variables in statistics, we all know that. But the fact is that is still 100,000 women made in the image of God stuck in this degrading cycle. It doesn't matter about the proportions. These individuals matter to God. Which brings us on to our final statistic. Suicides in Victorian London, 2,300. 2013, 6,045. It's pretty dark stuff, isn't it? In 21st century England, there's a darkness which encroaches upon all of us. These stats are just scratching the surface of our situation. You know, in Basin Hill, uh, we may not have homeless people. In fact, according to the uh, recent census, we don't. But what the census tells us is uh, a picture of illness, of family breakdown, of growing unemployment. But as William Booth stated, in darkest England, there is a light beyond. And so we're going to turn now to that light. If you have your Bible open in front of you still, John chapter 1, we'll recap uh, the first bit of that reading. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God, with God in the beginning. Through all things, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John's taking us right back to the beginning, Genesis 1, and he's telling us the backstory of the word before the word became flesh. Because John, I think, wants to address one decisive point in his gospel, and he addresses it in far more colourful terms than the other gospels. And I think it's this, Christ, God's word of revelation, and the Son from eternity came into the world to rescue us from the power of sin and death, and to deliver us into a new and eternal state. And John, right from the start, wants to emphasize this. He wants to emphasize the relationship between father and son. 50 times in this gospel, he says, sent by the father. 50 times. That's a lot, isn't it? 
And John's describing a space into which you are invited, into which the whole of humanity is invited. It's a place of intimacy with God. It's an invitation to join the life of the Trinity. Um, There are various translations of John 1 which help to illuminate uh, what we're thinking. And one that uh, I'm sure a lot of you have come across is the message translation where um, it says that uh, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's it's a great motif of of a kind of closeness, neighborliness of, of Jesus. I think John's getting at something a little bit more intimate than that, though. I think the eternal word was sent by the Father, um, the translation is, to tabernacle with us. If you look back into Exodus 25, 26, we see that the tabernacle is a sanctuary before the temple was built. This was a special place, and uh, it was a kind of sacred place where God met with people. And in Jesus, the transcendent God is intimately embracing humanity in our darkness. John says no one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. You see, now John's sort of dualism between light and dark, he doesn't keep them poles apart. It's about rescue. It's about the movement of Christ. He is ambushing the darkness of the world. He is diving into a world which is devoid of God's light, of God's truth. It has little comprehension of the divine image of God that humanity is meant to represent. And that movement of Christ into the darkness brings life-giving light. And the darkness doesn't stand a chance. It just doesn't stand a chance. Jesus says in John 8:12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If we follow Jesus, we will end up being illuminated by his light. We will reflect it. We will bear witness to it. John Tiller pointed out to me today that there's a beautiful example of that right here. <laughs> um, that just as we see the earth because of the reflected light of the sun, So by Jesus, we see everything else. So bearing witness to the light. Um, John's just uh, reminded us of Matthew 5, hasn't he, where Jesus says that we're like light for the world. Let's be clear. If we are spoken of as light, it's about his light, not ours. If the earth looks light on there, it's the light of the sun, not the light of the earth. Have a look at John 1, verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John was not the light. He merely bore witness to it. I think this is important. We hear a lot today about mission and about what church is. But hear this, church is not the light. Missional theories are not the light. Jesus Christ is the true light who came into the world. Now don't get me wrong, sometimes church and mission and Christ do converge. 
But sometimes, as we'll be seeing as we start to unpack the story of Gideon in the coming weeks, sometimes we need to be willing to sacrifice our ways of being church and our ways of doing things so that we can allow the light of Christ to lead our way into new territory. The light didn't just come so you can admire it. The light came to launch an assault on the darkness. How do we do that then? How do we launch an assault on the darkness? Um, I want to tell you a story actually how William Booth did it. In Victorian England, a match factory, uh, match factories were places of uh, great danger to be a worker. Um, there was using phosphorus because you could strike a phosphorus match against any surface. But the only thing was that it was actually poisoning the workers. Um, and a lot of women uh, would, who tended to be women working there, they would have um, what was called fossy jaw. It was a kind of tumour that grew from exposure to the phosphorus and it soon killed them. Now, there was an alternative it had been developed in Sweden, and one of William Booth's soldiers, as he called them, uh, had a contact in Sweden, and they arranged to open a match factory in England, selling uh, non-phosphorus matches. The first safety match in England uh, was produced by the Salvation Army, and such was the success of this, because they undercut it and produced it very cheaply. They undercut their competitors, such was the success that within two years, William Booth closed down his factory because everybody in the UK was using safety matches. That's a small example of somebody who thought, I can see a problem here. This is really dark. I might be able to do something about that. And you know what? It wasn't a religious solution. It was a business solution. I don't know what that says to those of you out here who are in business or management or innovation of any kind. It was a very practical solution which brought light into a dark place. You see, salvation is bigger than just social action. A lot of the things that are wrong in our world are down to bad choices, difficult backgrounds. They're down to the fact that there is darkness in the world. We need to shine whatever light we can into those dark places. So to finish off, a moment of silence. If you'd like to cough, cough shuffle, whatever you do before you uh, get quiet after a... Okay, and let's just close our eyes as we reflect. I'm going to invite God to shine his light into our lives to illuminate those places of darkness. It might be fear, it might be things we've done wrong, it might be apprehension about what the year will bring. The light shines in the darkness and there is no darkness great enough to overcome the light of Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I wonder what you think that means. You're invited to share in the life of God. What does that look like for you today? What is God inviting you to? John was called to bear witness to the light. 
What is the one thing that God is asking you to do today to give the darkness a good kicking? I want you to just, whatever comes into your mind, trust that that's from God. What is the one thing he wants you to do to give that darkness a kicking? It might be acts of love and service. It might be sustained intercession for something. It might be encouraging people to encounter the light themselves as you invite them to messy church extra or to coffee in the living room. As you hold that thought in your mind, ready to take it away and act upon it, I'm going to pray collect for Christmas for the final time this Christmas. Almighty God, who wonderfully created us in your own image and yet more wonderfully restored us through your Son, Jesus Christ, grant that as he came to share in our humanity, so we may share the life of his divinity, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.